it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast, And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Killer Queens. I know. Uh, so exciting. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You guys, this week, I requested the case. I know. What? It was me. Somebody requested the case. It's me. I'm somebody. Well, you know. You're not somebody. You're actually a nobody. Okay. Okay. Well, either way, my case, bitches. I know. So, I mean, of course, you clicked on it so you know what you're listening to, right? Yeah. Okay. So, this, I feel like I heard this case on Sword and Scale, which is how I heard about it. Oh, I watched, I had seen the snapped on it. I I was wondering if I had, I think I've, I feel like I have probably seen the snapped on it too, maybe. Mm-hmm. Because I've seen just about all it snapped. But I didn't remember watching the snapped. That's interesting. So I don't know. I don't know. But um, I don't know what snapped I've seen and what snapped I haven't now. It's all up in the air. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a crazy one. It sure is. I mean. And like literally my favorite, you guys... You'll know when it happens, but my favorite interaction between a prosecutor and a defendant is in this case. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Why don't you give them the description? Okay. We'll take care of a a bit of business and then we'll jump right into it. Okay. In January of 2014, body parts were found scattered along the frozen landscape in China Township, Michigan. Authorities identified the body as Ramsey Scrivo, who had been reported missing by his mother, Donna. With no known enemies, detectives were at a loss until bits and pieces of evidence began to point to one person, Ramsey's own mother, Donna Scrivo. Blech. I know. All right. So we will get into that shortly. Before we do, we just want to let you know if you want more episodes, episodes on episodes on episodes, honestly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're, you'll want to check out our Patreon. It's episode city, bitch. Oh, it is. We have so it many is. episodes. No, it is. So, I mean, you can get four episodes a week over there. Yeah, you can. Including like what this one, you know? Oh, of course. Yeah. And um, speaking of Snapped, I don't know if you guys knew this, but we for a time did another whole separate podcast called Oh Snapped, where we recapped Snapped episodes. Mm-hmm. We don't know if we're going to bring it back um, right. because, you know... We already have like a bunch of episodes over here. 
and we had to take a break from it. But if you even want even more episodes, check that out. Oh, snapped. Absolutely. Anywhere you listen to podcasts. Sure. And of course, the episodes on our Patreon are ad-free. Yep. Every single one of them. Yes. Yeah. And if you want even more, even more, which like, is that even possible? Do you? I don't know if you want it. I don't, I'm not here to tell you what to do, but if you do want it, we do have, it's a show on the app for Spotify Green Room. Our show is called True Crime Rewind, and we talk, honestly, all kinds of cases. But one of the best things about it is you can, if you so choose, you can talk to us directly. You can ask to speak. We will bring you up. If that's not your jam, you can comment in real time. We can read those comments. We can discuss what what you guys talk about. It's pretty awesome. And that is at 8 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday evenings on Spotify Green Room. Heck yeah. And actually, you guys, next week is our last show with them know, right so now. You want, so. But you, you can go back and listen to old episodes if you go on Spotify and type in True Crime Rewind. Yeah, for sure. You can listen to all the previous ones. But if you want to catch us live, definitely make sure you do that because April 5th is our last show. Crazy town. I know. Okay. Right. Yeah. Should we do it? I think so. All right. So we've got some trigger warnings. We have murder, dismemberment, drugging, and mental illness. Yes. I guess we, ha- I guess we'll just, we got to tell you a little bit about Donna Scribo. Could we not? I know. No, we got to do it. Yeah. She was born in Texas in April of 1954. Her father, George, worked as a security guard at a federal prison that was located in Kaufman County, Texas. Her mother, Melba Joyce, was a Sunday school teacher. Donna has a brother, David, and a sister, Linda, and growing up, Donna was always very popular, and she was well-liked. Their small town in Texas was very much kind of what you imagine when you hear about a small southern town, and the prison was almost like a town itself, and pretty much everybody worked there. So, you know, if there's like a town where you've got the one factory that everybody works at, like there was one case that we covered where everybody worked at like the turkey factory or something. It was like, yeah, you know, remember I can't, um, it was, I know you're talking about, it was Jamie it. Claus. I don't remember. It was a Turkey processing company or something like that, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, one of those towns where like everybody works at, at the prison and, um, it was a very tight knit community. Everybody felt like family, even if they weren't blood relatives. And as we mentioned, Donna was popular growing up and in high school, she was a cheerleader and she was voted an officer for her graduating class. It said that she was always ready to help anyone out when they needed something. And she was almost always in a good mood and very happy-go-lucky. After she graduated, she got a job at the prison where her father and so many friends and family worked. Her friends at the time said that when she got the job, it was mostly just as a stepping stone or building block to something more. Just something for her to do until she was able to basically GTFO. Yeah. Play it like Belle. There's got to be more than this provincial life. Exactly. She wanted she wanted something bigger and better. When she was working in the prison, though, Donna met and fell in love with someone. He was three years older than her, and his name was Daniel Scrivo. He was, at that time, serving three years for armed robbery. Donna had fallen in love with an inmate, and her father was tasked with watching. Over time, they developed a relationship, and when he was released in 1978, Donna and Dan got married, absolutely shocking her family. I think they were just really hoping that, like, 
this will fizzle out. Yeah. And it did not. And not only did it not like fizzle out, like she got married and then she quit her job. They moved from Texas to Michigan where Dan was from and he had family living. So it was like big changes, big changes. Yeah. It wasn't just like, okay, well, she's marrying this person. I mean, she moved across the country, like Mm -hmm. everything changed. When they got to Michigan and settled in, Dan started a painting business, which took off. His business grew and he was working constantly. Because of how well his business had been, the family was able to afford a home in the upper middle class neighborhood in the suburbs of just. just (laughs) (laughs) Why are you trying to put an S in there? I don't. There's not one S, is there? No. You know what? It's the suburbs of Detroit. I don't, suburbs is throwing me off maybe. In the suburbs of Detroit. And the one I tried to fix, I was like, it just, 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 no. (laughs) Okay. The community they moved to was widely regarded as an excellent place to raise a family. And that's exactly what Donna and Dan did. In 1978, they welcomed a boy, Jason. And then in 1981, they had Ramsey. For much of their early lives, Donna was a stay-at-home mom. She spent as much time as she could with her boys. And by all accounts, she was an absolutely excellent loving mother, just Mm -hmm. like anybody that you talk to was just like, she was such an amazing mother. She did everything she could for those kids. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. Okay. So after their youngest Ramsey started school, she decided it was time to reenter the workforce and she enrolled in nursing school. And she eventually started to work as a nurse in local hospitals. And although she was working, she was still very devoted to being a mother. And not to say that working full-time is not you being devoted. This is just what friends and family say. Um, But she did work part-time so that she could still have time with her boys. Their home was the one that everybody congregated at. So on the weekends, it was where all the kids would hang out. She'd be the mom at home, baking the brownies, making the pizza rolls or, you know, whatever, which is full on the kind of mom I plan on being. Like, I'm talking like snacks galore. (laughs) I want to know what the fuck my kids are up to. Yes. Everybody come over to our house because I want to keep an eye on you and make sure that you're not getting into mischief. Exactly. I want to trick them into thinking that I don't care but I just have snacks. Right. And I'll be like, I don't know. I'm just reading this magazine here. I definitely don't have every room in this house bugged. It's <laughs> weird. Exactly. Don't do that. Hey, y'all. Did you know that we release an update all about us and what we're up to each week on our Patreon? It's called T to the fourth power Y, which is some time to talk to you, a nod to not another teen movie. Mm-hmm. And it's where we just gal pal with you about life, what we're watching, our love for Cracker Barrel Italian dressing. I mean, honestly, the sky's the limit. You never know what you're going to get, really. Mm-mm. If you want to catch an episode without being a patron, you are in luck. Just head over to killerqueens.link slash TT. T-T-Y, okay, time to talk to you, four T's and a Y, and you'll get to hear a full episode for free. And you can get every single regular release episode ad-free for as little as $3 a month. That's less than half the price of the coffee I get at Starbucks, so. I know, that's crazy. I know, what a deal. Mm-hmm. And for $10 a month, you get all that plus our other two Patreon-exclusive shows, Murder Mixtapes, which is a full bonus case each week, Recent cases are Tara Grinstead, Hannah Cornelius, and New York Body Snatchers, just to name a few. And you also get our other Patreon-exclusive show, Doc Jams, which is where we cover true crime documentaries episode by episode. We've done 
Don't Fuck With Cats. We've done Crime Scene on Netflix. They have Cecil Hotel and Times Square Killer. We've done The Jinx. We've done so many more. So be sure to head to killerqueens.link slash T-T-T-T-Y to get your free episode and hundreds more episodes to download right now and binge when you become a member of our Patreon community. Donna, like most parents, wanted nothing but the best for her children, especially when it came to their education. She was strict with the boys when it came to their grades in school in particular. She sent them to a private Catholic school and got them tutors throughout high school. She had a plan, and that plan was for them to get a good high school education and then go and get a college education as well. For Donna, appearances and perceptions were very important. She wanted the community to see how good of a mother she was, how nice of a family they were. The way that Donna looked at it was that she and Dan had built this perfect family and suburban life, and she wanted her boys to do the same. Except Jason threw a wrench in the whole thing when he finished high school. After he graduated, he moved to Detroit to become a fireman. And she was proud of him and the fact that he was a fireman, but she wasn't planning on it going that way. You know, she still wanted him, I guess, to get a college degree. She didn't want him to just go straight into the workforce, even though this is what he wants to do with his life, right? Like, right. Like, remember, mom, how it's not your life. And guess what? A fireman is a career. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And it's like, it's a, it's a respectable career. It's noble and yeah, all these things. So yeah. But, and again, like people said she was really proud of him, but I think when she saw Jason not go to college, it's like she she failed a little bit. Yeah. And she put the pressure on Ramsey. She was like, there is just no way that he's going to not go to college. Right. Like, like I've talked to people who, I don't know. I've worked with people who are like, you know, I remember this one girl that we both used to work with. She really, really wanted to do like hair and makeup in theater. And she really wanted to go to cosmetology school. But her family made her get a degree at college before she could go to cosmetology school. And they told her if she didn't, they would cut her off. Like they weren't going to help her with her bills or anything anymore. They weren't going to help her pay for school. Like she'd have to pay for cosmetology school by herself unless she got a degree first. And do you know what she did? She got a degree and then she went to cosmetology school and she is a cosmetologist now. Yeah, because that's what she wanted to do. And again, I hate to, you know, it bears repeating. That's a career. Well, it's nothing to turn your nose up at and no, say like, oh, God, I can't believe my daughter's going to cosmetology school. Like, that's a career. It's a career until you get a real job. Oh, yes. Yeah, people treat it like, because <laughs> I had it happen to me often. Still, I, I mean, was... even when you'd been doing it, like you, technically you're retired. I know. Yeah. But like even in the last year and you'd been doing it for what, 14 years by that Mm -hmm. point? They're like, what do you see? You're putting yourself through school. Yeah. Like I was, this was just a placeholder until I found the the actual job. I'm like, no, I'm at my actual job right now. Like this is my job. That's just crazy to me. I know. And also the audacity of people to fucking ask people stuff like that. Like you're sitting in my chair and I could um, accidentally cut half of your hair off. Yeah. Do you realize how much power I wield right <laughs> yeah. now? And you're going to be like, oh. So when do you get stylist. a real job, though? Yeah. I don't think it helped, though, in my situation that 
Because, I mean… You dress like a My Little Pony? Yes. I dress like I'm about 14. Mm-hmm. So people were like, okay. So… Because I had people ask. They were like, does school let you out early to come work here? And I'm like, mm, no, I'm I'm 31. <laughs> oh um, so this is it for me. Wow. You lucky duck. I know. It's a blessing in disguise, isn't it? It really it's really is. great. It's yeah. really nice. Yeah. yeah. I've not had a school bus stop for me at all. I haven't had one stop for me in quite some time, but it, it has happened in the last five years. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. So, now that Jason is out of the house, he's a fireman. Donna is like, he's just dinking around being a fireman. Yeah, I know, until he gets a real job. Right. She's all about making sure that Ramsey is going to go to college. So, after he finished high school, he did attend Wayne State University in Michigan and he did get a degree in accounting. The and, pressure. Uh, right. For the next few years, he worked for a few different accounting firms and was generally viewed by everyone as having a successful career, which thank God for Donna, right? Like, yeah. At least she, at least she had one successful son. Yeah. I know. It's just so like, I don't know. I mean, I know that times were different too. You know, her kids were born in the 70s and early 80s, but like, like, you know, we talk about that with the boys and I'm like, if they don't want to go to college, fine. Like, you know, there's so many other things that you can do. I, I don't have a college degree. We know you don't. Whoa. <laughs> just kidding. Well, <laughs> cosmetologist. We just talked about it. I, I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I went I went to college until I fell down at college and then I was too embarrassed <laughs> to go back. And that's, I think anybody can understand that. Well, sure. If you sure. fall down some stairs, give up. And the hottest boy in school saw it. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. That's, you can't come back from that. No, you cannot come back from that. Yeah. And then I was just like, they're like, oh God, are you the girl that fell down? Are you okay? I'm like, <laughs> ah! <laughs> but I think the thing is, it's like, you can be successful without having a college degree. For sure. Because there are plenty of college degrees out there. And I'm not saying anything bad about having a college degree, but there are some that only qualify you. Like I remember being in high school and my English teacher was like, you can go to school. You can get a degree in, I don't even, I can't even think of what example she used, but let's say an English major. And if you don't pursue that further, you could very easily be qualified to be a greeter at Walmart. Mm -hmm. You can do anything that you want to do. Uh, A degree can help you, sure, but it also doesn't really matter in some cases. Like you can, you can be successful if you put your mind to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And there's just so much like, that's why, you know, I know that it's different, but especially now with the way the internet is. I mean, God, who would have ever freaking known that like we would just be podcasters? Like I know that we can make that a full-time job. I mean, it's incredible. So there's just so many options out there and there's absolutely nothing wrong with going to a trade school. No. I mean, unless it's cosmetology. Well, yeah. I think we've already made that clear. I just wanted to step on the point even further. I'm just saying, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a few months before his 30th birthday, Ramsey went out with some friends on a weekend and things got a little hectic. So hectic, in fact, that at one point, Ramsey fell back and hit his head on the concrete. So he ended up in the ER and in the hospital. Immediately after the injury, everybody noticed a change in Ramsey. He had extreme difficulty when it came to focusing on a project or even starting things himself. He got irritated very easily and quickly. He was very quick to anger. After the injury, Ramsey began to have confrontations with bosses at work. 
And he started to bounce from job to job, which definitely was alarming Donna. Yes. And I mean, a head injury like that can definitely mess with your temper, make you have like, you know, quick trigger kind of thing. So definitely. I mean, I know like, of course, like add this to the list of things that I'm terrified about, but, um, somebody that I used to work with, her son was playing on the playground, like at middle school. I think he was like 11 maybe or something like that. And they were out on the playground and he and some friends were playing like flag football and he tripped and fell. And you know, like the little, like, it's like, it's like plastic barriers. Yeah. Plastic barriers. Yeah. That like holds the mulch in or whatever, like makes the outline. Sure. Okay. Of the playground, the outline of the playground. He fell and hit his head on that. And he, I mean, he had a brain injury from it and he has never been the same. He can get violent and he had never done that before. And, you know, he's had a lot of problems since then. And it's like, I never viewed that as dangerous, but there are just so many, like hitting your head like that can just be so dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's so scary. Absolutely. In the fall of 2012, Donna was dealt another blow when Ramsey decided that he was going to abandon the white collar world and career that he had established. And he began working with his father painting houses. And she was shocked. She was disappointed, but Ramsey seemed extremely happy working with his dad on a daily basis. And they began to run the business together. To Ramsey, Dan was a rock that he could lean on. Dan always tried to protect Ramsey when it came to Donna's expectations, and he would often put himself between Donna and Ramsey when he sensed she was getting a little too overbearing. After disappointing Donna by going to work with his dad, Ramsey dealt yet another blow. Mm, Poor Donna. Poor Donna. Yeah, first she's got to deal with the, the fact that her son wants to work with his dad at a legitimate career, and then next, guess what he does? He decides he's going to move out. He wants to buy his own house. Oh my God. What a bitch move. Yeah. Can we please remember though, the very first blow that she was dealt was that her first son didn't even go to college. Oh God. I forgot about that. I mean, the, how is she going to get, how is she going to show her face in public? Exactly. I know. So Ramsey received disability benefits from his head injury. And with that money, he, uh, with the money that he received from helping his dad, he was able to take care of himself. In the spring of 2013, Dan unfortunately became quite ill and he went to the hospital. When he was in his 20s, Dan had contracted hepatitis C from drug use and he had lived with it and fought it until he was in his late 50s. At the hospital, they told him that his condition had worsened to the point where there was nothing that they could do for him and they just sent him home. Mm. Since Donna was a nurse, they gave her vials of morphine to help with Dan's care to ease his pain in his final days. And after a 12-day stay at the hospital... Dan passed away less than 24 hours after returning home. Since Dan wasn't officially at any type of hospice care, the medical examiner had to come out and confirm the details of his death, including creating an inventory of the medications he was given. So the ME noticed that there was a bottle of morphine missing, which contained enough morphine to kill someone, and they asked Donna about it. Donna said it must have been a mistake, but then she uh, then asked to speak with the ME privately. She said that Ramsey had been in an accident and was dealing with the death of his father, and she thought that maybe he took it. Ramsey hears all of this, and he explodes. He accused Donna of killing Dan with the missing morphine, and he said over and over that she killed him. Donna said that it was part of the mental illness that Ramsey was suffering from, and Ramsey was admitted to a local hospital for an emergency psych evaluation. 
A toxicology screened, screening showed that Ramsey had absolutely no morphine in his system, but his accusations against Donna were never investigated and Dan was cremated. Here is my question. You notice it's the morphine is gone. Right. She throws Ramsey under the bus. Big fat threw him under the bus. Yeah. They test him. He doesn't have any morphine in his system. It's like they, all they wanted to do was just choose to believe Donna no matter what, not even listen to Ramsey. Yeah, like, we're not going to check Dan's blood levels. Yeah, why would you go ahead and cremate him? If this vial of morphine being missing is that important. Right. That you have to investigate where it went. Because guess what? Asking Donna about it and Donna saying Ramsey took it and then it not being in Ramsey's system doesn't answer any questions. Mm -mm. So you're still back to square one with, well, wait, we don't know where it went, but Donna says her son's crazy. So let's go with that. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's like, it kind of reminds me of um, Gypsy Rose. Like how her mom, you know, she would be like, I'm being held captive or whatever. And her mom would be like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. You know, just setting things into place so that if she ever came forward, it would be ignored. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's just, it really angers me for Ramsey. Yeah, same. And I'm sure it really angers, like, he's so helpless at this point. Yeah. Nobody's going to believe him. Yeah, something is happening. I am telling you something is happening and you're telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Gosh, could you imagine? It's like Gothica too. Mm Mm-hmm. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So after Ramsey's release, Donna went to court and said that Ramsey had a head injury and mental illness. And because of that, he wasn't able to take care of himself. 
she said that she was the best person to take care of her son, given her background in healthcare. And the court was like, great, perfect. You are in charge of him. And Donna was given guardianship over Ramsey. Perfect. Yeah, we love to hear that. There is another version to the events that took place immediately following Dan's death. And some people say that after his death, Ramsey went off the deep end and attempted suicide, which is why he was placed on the psych hold. And Donna was, of course, given the guardianship. That's, there's no argument there that that's yeah. what happened. But yeah. either way, Ramsey's completely not okay and upset that he was back under Donna's control. And a neighbor at the time said that Ramsey wasn't as mentally ill or depraved as Donna made him out to be. And he didn't think that he needed a 24-7 caretaker. He was self-sufficient. I mean, he was taking care of himself. But now I do understand that after a, you know, a big life event, right? Like your father passing away. Right. Like that can definitely change things, but he already had the head injury before his father passed away and he was proved himself to be self-sufficient. Yeah. He was working. He was taking care of himself. He was living on his own. Yeah. So Donna had a little bit of a secret. Before Dan died, Donna was invited back to Texas for a high school reunion. And while she was there, she met up with an old boyfriend and the two of them completely hit it off. So much so that When Donna returned back to Michigan, they kept in contact and they texted regularly. After Dan's death, Donna began to think about moving to Texas, but there was something standing in her way. She could not move to Texas without Ramsey. And when she talked to him about this, Ramsey shut it down. She told him that it would be a fresh start for them. There was nothing keeping them in Michigan. They could sell everything. They could make a new life. But Ramsey was like, no, I'm not going. I want to stay in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And of course, Donna, being concerned with appearances, couldn't just leave Ramsey alone and no longer be his guardian. I mean, what would neighbors think? Well, valid question. I know. And the most important thing to think about. Well, yeah. And especially, I mean, are we going to look like a good mom to the neighbors? The answer has to be yes. So everything else just is a means to an end, right? Absolutely. Sure. Whatever you got to do to make sure that you look great in front of your neighbors. Yeah, exactly. On July 31st, 2013, the quiet neighborhood that the Scrivos lived in was overrun with police and emergency vehicles. The Scrivo home was engulfed in flames, and Donna was outside screaming that Ramsey was still inside in the basement. As she was screaming, a firefighter emerged from the house with Ramsey. Now, I'm guessing she's probably pretty happy about firefighters at that point. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. I don't know. As they were getting him medical attention, they could sense that something was wrong. He was slurring and just generally seemed out of it. And they asked him what he had taken. And Donna spoke up and said that he had a prescription for Xanax because of his mental health. Emergency responders suspected that he had taken more than he was prescribed. But Ramsey told them that Donna was the only one who gave him his medication and he only took what she gave him. Why would he be affected so much so by the Xanax that he is slurring? Mm-hmm. On a night that there was a house fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Donna's like, well, you know, he's, uh, he just takes more than he's supposed to. And he's like, she's my, she gives me all, she's the nurse, right? Yeah. And she takes over everything. Like, she controls every part of his life, including his, the medication that he is being administered. Yes. But, I mean, come on. Let's think about this for a second. Ramsey took the morphine. That's true. Are we saying that that was not true? Because it was true. He's hiding it somewhere. Absolutely, he's hiding it somewhere. And he's just waiting for the right moment to use it. So it would make sure, or make sure, it would it would be certain, right, that 
he 100% took more Xanax even though he was being given them by Donna. I I, I don't see any way around it. I don't see another option Mm -hmm. here. Mm -mm. I don't either. I mean, investigators looked into it and they were suspicious about the fire, about how it was started. They decided that the fire started in the basement and said that it looked like it might have been from some rags that were near a hot water heater. Donna said Ramsey probably did it because he was always smoking down there, but they said there were no signs of it having started that way. With no real evidence to go on, they eventually listed the fire as an accident. I know that this is what we do, like we do like true crime podcasts, but like, I don't know. It's just, it's very sad that the pieces were never put together because Ramsey was absolutely adamant Uh, Two things, that Donna is giving him too much medication, that she's drugging him, Mm -hmm. and that he believes that she killed his father by drugging him. Mm -hmm. We know that Ramsey has too much Xanax in his system. He's slurring and he's not functioning. Right. We never tested Dan. And now there's a fire downstairs where Ramsey supposedly is. And here's a pattern of behavior that Donna is exhibiting. Blame mm-hmm. everything on Ramsey. Yep. Yeah, Ramsey probably did it. Well, actually, no, that didn't happen. I don't know. Yeah. Ramsey probably took too much Xanax. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm the one that gave it. Okay, I'm the one that gave it to him. So I, okay, all right, fine. Well, he must have it's, tricked her into thinking he hadn't had it that day or something. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. To accuse your mother of killing your father is a hell of an accusation to throw out. Yeah. But I don't think that he got there with no gut feeling, evidence, something. Exactly. He knows her, so. Yeah, something's going on. It's just really sad that, like, he's screaming it from the rooftops. I know. It's like he's screaming underwater and no one is listening. Yeah, exactly. So, with their home being damaged by the fire and Donna being his guardian, the mother and son still had to live with one another, so they moved into Ramsey's condo. Can you imagine being Ramsey, being like, I have to live with this bitch? I know. Cannot oh escape gosh. her. All the while, Donna is still talking to Ramsey about moving to Texas, telling him that he's being stubborn, but he never gave in. They constantly fought about it, and Ramsey would go to neighbors daily to talk with them and just vent about his mom. Donna called Jason, who lived out of state at this time, and tried to convince him to talk to Ramsey, but Jason refused, saying that she should give up the guardianship, which is an option, Donna. There's more than one way to get what you want out of the situation. Exactly. But she refused. Absolutely not. Not going to happen. On Monday, January 27th, 2014, Donna entered a police station and told them that Ramsey had left the day before with his phone. She told them that Ramsey went out for a walk towards the 7-Eleven nearby, but he never came back. No one who worked at the 7-Eleven recalled seeing Ramsey that weekend at all. Donna told them the police that he wasn't answering his phone and that since Dan died, Ramsey had become aggressive and had mental issues and was suicidal. At this time in Michigan, it was extremely cold. Like, it had not been that cold in over 100 years. Eek. That's cold. Yeah, it's cold. And Donna, oh, it's cold in the D. <laughs> it is. It is. Yes. And Donna said that Ramsey left wearing just a Carhartt jacket, some flannel pajama boot, or Pajama boots? Wow, I want some pajama boots. It sounds cute. I think they go with apartment pants. They totally do. Oh my gosh. 
So he was in a Carhartt jacket, some flannel pajama bottoms, Timberland boots, and a shirt. That's not enough for this no. this temperature that we're that they were in. So yeah. detectives tried to ping his cell phone, but they got nothing. And then they sus- <laughs> they suspended. Don't act like you have pronounced every word that you've said correctly. I haven't, but I do feel like if we if we went back to how you said detectives, that was messy too. Was it really? It really was. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Detectives tried to ping his cell phone, but got nothing. And they subpoenaed his phone records. And they knew that it would take several days for the records to be released. So that was more of a preemptive move in case they weren't able to locate him before they got the records. While detectives were looking, Mm -hmm. Donna started to go around and talk to everyone and tell them that Ramsey was missing. A lot of Ramsey's friends assumed that Ramsey finally got tired of Donna and was just at a friend's house somewhere to get away from her. Yeah. Understandably so. Yeah, who could blame him? Yeah. Ramsey had been missing for three days when detectives received his phone records. And as they were looking through them, one thing jumped out at them. Everyone, literally everyone in the Scrubo family had been calling Ramsey over and over once word spread that he was missing. Mm -hmm. But guess who didn't ever call him? Hmm. I'll give you a hint. The answer is Donna. Couldn't be Donna. It was Donna. Even though she told detectives Mm -hmm. that she had been trying to call him. If he's missing Mm -hmm. and you're frantically trying to find him. Right. But you never once call him. Yeah. You know who that reminds me of? Who? Andrea Snyderman. Mm-hmm. When she found out that there was some kind of an emergency and she had to go to the hospital. Oh, yeah. But she never once called her husband Rusty. And they're like, how many times did you call him? Zero. Like, she was so snotty about it. Ugh. And she's like, I assumed that uh, if Rusty was in the hospital, he's not going to answer his phone. It's like, you didn't know it was Rusty. Andrea Snotterman. Yes. Never once did she call him. Okay, fucking whatever. Detectives reached out to Donna to ask her to call them back because of some issues they had with the phone records. And usually Donna would call them right back. But when they mentioned the phone records, Donna never returned their call. (laughs) She's like, ooh, uh uh-oh, don't want to talk about that. Bye. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, um, actually, I'm super busy coming up, I think. So not going to talk about that. On January 30th, Ramsey was still missing and Donna was still not returning calls. Does she not know how obvious she is? I know. She's just like, uh, ignore. Like, <laughs> that's only going to work for like so long, Donna. Yeah. Like, come on. That's when a breaking news alert came on the TV. And in a small town about 50 miles north of Detroit, human body parts had been discovered in garbage bags scattered along a county highway. There were approximately six to eight bags containing 12 body parts that had been cut. Initially, they were unsure if it was one body or multiple bodies, and they thought it might be related to organized crime. After news of the body parts had circulated, detectives finally received a call back from Donna. So she's been ignoring their calls for two days. I mean, just like quite obviously just not responding to them, right? Right. And now she's calling, saying that she needs to head up north and identify the body they found because she's pretty sure it's Ramsey. Why would your first thought be, oh my gosh, that's got to be my son? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You might, if your son is missing and then they find a body, you might say, I don't know if you heard about this. Could you look into that? Maybe like, I want to be sure it's not my son. But she was just like, what time are we going to identify this body? 
Yeah. Because it's definitely, I know it's my son. Like, well, yeah. And I mean, you got to think about like all the other, because I think that a lot of times when we talk about cases and we jump to a conclusion or something, you know what I mean? We're like, oh, wow, that's suspicious. It's not because that alone could be suspicious. It's because of all the other things involved as well. But it does seem kind of weird to me that if you are a mother frantically looking for your son who has not called him, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You go to the trouble of reporting him missing. And then the first thing that you hear or whenever you hear about something, body parts found in a county pretty far away. Mm -hmm. Your first thought is, oh my gosh, I have to go identify Ramsey. That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. I mean, it definitely calls into question the word frantic. Sure. I feel like, because she's like, okay, so I'm I'm beside myself worried about my son. Mm -hmm. Did you call him? No. No. Did you text it? No. No. Did you ask her? No. Have you? No. It's like um, in that movie Screwed. And oh. the police are like <laughs> trying to ask her questions about. Did he have any friends? Yeah. Not, not that I know, I know of. <laughs> Did he have any family members? Not that not I know, that of. I know of. And then they're like, you know, can you give us any information? She's like, you, you go out and look for him if it makes you happy. Okay. If you want to do that, you go right out and do that. Like, <laughs> I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to be bothered with this. Yeah, this is none of my concern. Exactly. I do not care. I have things to do today. You don't call him one time and you she was very like specific when she reported him missing. When he left, he took his phone with him. Mm-hmm. And but she even said, but he's not responding. He's not returning my calls and he's not answering it. How the fuck do you know that? Right. You didn't call him. <laughs> I mean, I know that like not everybody listens to or watches true crime like you know we all do like but you gotta know that the police can see that you've not called him right like they're gonna get his phone records right and this is not in the 1700s like we're talking about something that happened what seven eight years ago like it's not that long ago people had cell phones and you can track that shit. Like, oh, get, come off it. Come off it. All right. So she needs to get down there and identify this body immediately. Right, 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 right. And the detectives were just like, okay, just shocked for so many reasons, but also like, we have no information connecting this body that we found. It wasn't like they called her and they were like, hey, we saw a tattoo or something. It could, could right. be. Yeah, we found, yeah, we found a body. It has, yeah, an identifying, you know, a tattoo or or it was found in the area that you said, you know, Ramsey was last seen or whatever, where he was walking. This, this body is 50 was miles away. In a Carhartt jacket and pajama bottoms. Yeah. PJ boots, right? I mean, it's like, yeah. come on. PJ boots, yeah. Like, there's just nothing tying them together. And she was just like, I don't care. It's him. 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 him." It's just weird. Very. Hey, you guys. Um, It's us again. Yay. It's us. We threw threw you for a loop on this one. (laughs) Uh, So we know that a lot of you have been asking, like, WTF, where are episodes 1 through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember, though, we need you to take a little caution here. 
We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us, just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our, what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. So meanwhile, up north, detectives were fielding calls and tips from the public about the body parts. And one tip was from a boy in high school who said that he was driving down the road and saw a woman discarding a bag. She drove a silver SUV, and she was white with long brown hair. He saw her shake the bag, and it looked like a dead dog fell from the bag and thought, that's weird. Why would you dump a dead dog on the side of the road? A lot of problems with that. Yeah. Okay, so another witness who was a UPS driver said that he saw the same vehicle in the parking lot of the BP gas station. Detectives then went to the local gas stations and pulled the surveillance camera footage and released it to the public. Detectives working Ramsey's case saw the footage and said that it was, like, while it was typical grainy gas station video, there was no mistaking that this person in the video was Donna. There's really not. I mean, it is so Donna. It's so very Donna. And within minutes, another call came from a medical examiner who confirmed that the body parts were those of Ramsey Scrivo. Detectives said that it was an oh shit moment where they needed to find Donna immediately. They found her, they brought her in, and they told her the news about Ramsey, even though she already knew that it was him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And that, you know, they tell her, okay, the body we found was, in fact, Ramsey. Did he know anybody up there? You know, because again, this is pretty far from where they live. 50 miles. And Ramsey Mm -hmm. left on foot. Yeah. He, He wasn't driving, so what's going on? And Donna was like, no, um, he doesn't know anybody up there. And they're like, okay, well, when's the last time you've been up there? And she's like, oh, gosh, you know, uh, I had a patient up there a couple of years ago, but I haven't been up there since then. So definitely not me, if that's what you're asking. And they're like, well, um, okay. So you were actually there yesterday. And she's like, no. And they're like, no, like, no, I know you were up there. I'm not asking you, like... I know. And of course, she doesn't know about the surveillance video from the gas station. And um, the detective is like, would it help if you look at pictures? And she's like, well, pictures of what? And they're like, we have pictures of you up there. Like, cut the shit, Donna. We know you were up there. And she's like, all right, fine. Go get the pictures then. And she's still like dead set. I have not been in that area. Well, and she's never been challenged before, really, you know? Like, apparently, yeah. So I, I think that she really, really thought that just being like, no, would work because it kind of has. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's worked with everything else. You're right. Like, I don't know if she just thought they were, she was going to call their bluff or what, <laughs> but they go and get the surveillance video images and they bring it back to her and she's just like, yeah, okay, that's me. <sighs> If you're telling me that I got gas there, then I must have just been driving around looking for Ramsey and, you know, then had to stop and get gas. If you say I was there, then I guess I was there. Right. And there, there's a logical explanation. Duh. Yeah, of course. How would you, if you were looking for Ramsey, 
50 miles away. Mm-hmm. And then you hear on the news or wherever that there are body parts found in the same area that you had been looking. Why would you not make that connection? Why wouldn't you just go ahead and explain it? Yeah, I was looking for Ramsey up there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, because you definitely, you, and they've been asking her this whole time, what have you been doing? Where have you, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. She never mentions driving over 50 miles away to look for him. Mm-mm. You know, it's just like, come on, Donna. So well. they keep <laughs> pressing her and they're like, look, you're not a bad person. You know, you've been dealing with someone with severe mental illness and, you know, that wears you down. And she said a few times, I didn't kill my son. I don't know what you want me to say. And detectives were like, just tell us the truth. Like, you're, there's something you're not telling us. And she's like, well, I need a lawyer. So yeah, the truth is I'm lawyering up. Yeah. So while they were talking to Donna, authorities began to search Ramsey's condo. And they said that as soon as you walked in, you were almost overpowered by the smell of bleach. There was a trail of blood and bleach from his bathtub to his bedroom. And you could easily see where bleach was used on the carpeting to clean up blood. It's just so like, obviously that's not funny, but it's just so freaking unbelievable that she's sitting there going with the story of like, I don't know. He just walked out of the house and I haven't seen him since then. You are living in this condo right now. Mm -hmm. And you mean to tell me that you didn't, you didn't notice all the blood? Right. So much so that you, okay, let's just say, let's just play a little whatever devil's advocate here. Let's say that she didn't see the blood, that Ramsey somehow did not pass away from all the blood loss, whatever happened to him. He had cleaned it up himself, right? Let's mm-hmm. say that that happened, that she didn't even know the blood was there, that he cleaned it up and she gets home. She doesn't smell the bleach. <laughs> she doesn't go in and look and see. Because when you, if you see the picture of his carpeting in his bedroom, there is a very obvious lighter spot where it has been cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, altern- the alternative is that she cleaned up all of the blood but didn't even bother to tell detectives that there was blood all in the apartment or the condo. And she's just gotten nose blind to this bleach and is not realizing that it's still... Either way, something is messed up here. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way. Yeah, exactly. And, and the smell of the bleach was to the point, like you said, you were overpowered with it. And not only that, but we'll find out from neighbors, you know, later that like there were some weird smells coming from the condo to the point like neighbors were smelling things that shouldn't be there. Come on. Yeah. Come on. In February of 2014, Donna was arrested and in jail, charged with discarding her son's dismembered body. She made a call to her sister, which was recorded. On that call, Donna claimed that she was in the basement doing laundry. She went upstairs to Ramsey's room and Ramsey was unconscious on the floor. Then, get ready, guys. Get ready. Oh my, you guys. All right. (laughs) Windows open. I don't, if it's cold, if it's, it doesn't matter what your weather is like windows open, rain or shine. Yes. <laughs> so then a man dressed in black from head to toe, including a ski mask, stepped out towards her. He had killed Ramsey by strangling him. And Donna was like, what are you doing? And the man said, if you don't do just what I tell you, I'm going to kill Jason too. Donna said that the man had a gun. And in the days that followed, the man directed her to do everything she did. She claimed that when she originally went to the police department, the man was there. He made her go shopping. And told her what items to buy. I feel like the key phrase there is in the days that followed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, This mm -hmm. man who has killed her son, who snuck in while she was in the basement and killed her son, is now hanging out in this house and riding around with her for multiple days. Oh, yes. 
And that's still not even (laughs) the worst part. Oh, so Donna claimed that he then used the saw that she purchased to dismember Ramsey. After that, he made her take the bags containing Ramsey's remains and dump them. After that, he left, but not before he told her that if she told the police, he would return and kill the rest of her family. Okay. So Donna tells this to her lawyer. Her lawyer presents this to the police and they were like, fine, we'll look into it. So they had recovered the saw that she used to dismember Ramsey and used Trella, this- Did what? you just say she? Oh, I'm sorry. That was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? Yep. She did not do this. I'm sorry. She did it. Yeah. I mean, the intruder, the masked intruder, of course. Yes. Yes, The one that is absolutely not made up. No, not made up at all. Yeah. The saw used to dismember Ramsey, and they used the serial number to track down where it was purchased, which was a local Lowe's. They looked through the security footage, and plain as day, there's Donna. Only Donna. No person with her, right? Right. Going into the store and buying the saw. They also spoke with a neighbor who said that one morning after Ramsey was missing, but before the body was found, she saw Donna struggling to put garbage bags in the back of her car. And she could tell that they were really heavy because Donna was struggling to carry them by herself. And again, there was nobody else there. She never saw anybody else in the car. She didn't see anyone like walking back and forth with Donna. And she even remarked that when she saw Donna struggling with them, she was like, where the hell is Ramsey to help her with this? Yeah. Because it's so heavy. And, you know, there's nobody sitting in the car. Like, there's nobody else. It's just Donna. Right. They looked at footage from the police parking lot from when Donna said the man went with her. Because <laughs> remember, she went to the police station to report him missing. <laughs> yeah. And they have security cameras, Donna. At the police station. So they go back and review that. And sure as shit, they see her car there. Mm -hmm. Her vehicle's there, but she's the only person in the car getting in or out. They don't see anybody else in the car with her. That's so... The UPS driver who saw her said it was just her. Any surveillance footage only showed Donna. Right. So the masked man, because she, she didn't say the masked man contacted her, you know, via a burner phone that he then took. And, you know, he was there with her, right. telling her he to do all He was there with this. her the entire time, Yeah, apparently. with a gun yes. to her head. Yeah. Right. So that, I mean, let's just say that police do not believe this masked man no. um, situation. So here's what they actually thought happened. While Donna was in Texas for her reunion, she and her old boyfriend rekindled their relationship and Donna wanted out of her marriage. When Dan was given his diagnosis, Donna gave him a fatal overdose of morphine to kill him. She blamed Ramsey for the missing morphine and used it as a way to control him, thinking that she could force him to move to Texas with her. But he refused. So she sets the house on fire and tries to kill Ramsey that way. Then on January 25th, she drugged Ramsey with enough Xanax to render him unable to fight back. Once she knocked him out, she strangled him until he was dead. And afterwards, she dismembered her son and scattered his body parts. I mean, I know. And like, she didn't just go to Lowe's once to buy a saw. She went there <gasps> three separate times because the saws that she bought weren't strong enough to cut through his body. Now, I don't mean to laugh, but it is ridiculous because if we're going with this with this masked man theory, because, it, and again, I think we all know, everybody knows, 
That shit didn't happen. But if we're going with this, that is so many opportunities for her to have said, hey, help me here. Someone is, yeah, I'm abducted by this masked man and he's threatening to kill my entire family and he killed my son. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Yeah. There's so many opportunities for this to go wrong for this quote unquote masked man situation. Right. Why would he allow her? (laughs) Why would he allow her to walk into the police station by herself? Right. Because if this is true and she walks in, And she's like, oh, thank God there's a man in the back of my car. Because from her story, she goes into the police station. He's still sitting in the back of her car when she gets out. Right. So he waited for her. So she could have said, please go to my car right now. There's a man wearing a mask who's threatening me. They've arrested. (laughs) Yeah. And he's, she's safe inside the police department. And do you know why she said she didn't do that? Well, she doesn't trust the police. Mm. but she did trust the man. And she said this, I trusted the man who had the gun to my head. (laughs) It's laughable. Yeah. It is laughable. Yeah. So Donna was charged with first degree murder of Ramsey and pled not guilty. Donna testified on her own behalf and told the masked man story to the jury. And it was the first time many people had heard her story. Her defense team said that she had no motive to kill her son, while the prosecution argued that her wanting to move to Texas drove the killing. She also, she didn't just say that it was a masked man. Mm-mm. She Tell, say it. Once she gets on the stand, she starts saying that his eyes were red and gold. Red and gold. Like that they legitimately changed colors in front of her. And her attorney was so exasperated with her that like after she's like, you know, well, he had these gold and red eyes and all this stuff. Her attorney was like, (sighs) yeah. And do you believe this was a hallucination? She's like, well, now I do. But then I thought it was real. Like all this stuff. She had to have been a defense attorney's nightmare. I I mean, no. And he... The way her defense attorney talks about her is the kindest way I think anybody mm. could talk about her. Like, absolutely. he's still very kind of complimentary of her. Yes. And still maintains that he's not really sure what he thinks she might be innocent. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. He questions the guilt. But because she was adamant that she was going to testify, she had to be cross examined. Mm. Did not oh, go so well. My gosh. <laughs> This is my favorite cross-examination ever. That has been in the history of ever. Yes. Like her, uh, the prosecutor's name was William Cataldo. He was absolutely not here for Donna's shit. Mm -mm, Thank God for that. And at one point when he's like, you know, why would you not report this? Why would you not have told somebody? Not only did she go to Lowe's three separate times, not only did she go to the police department, she went to dinner at her like sister's house or cousin's house or somebody like her face. Some, some family member, she went to dinner at their house. Yeah. Some family member, she stayed for dinner the whole time. Didn't mention one thing. Didn't say anything to anybody. And the prosecutor is like, if you're telling me that this masked man is telling you that he's going to kill everybody in your family, why would you not warn your family? Why would you not tell the police like all this stuff? And she's just like, are you done? And Terrell, what did he say? He goes, oh, no, I'm just getting started. He was like so over her because I feel like normally the response to that would be like, I asked the questions here. 
you just answer what I asked you. But he was like, oh, hell no, bitch. I'm I'm just getting started. Like, live. their interactions with each other, like, just this, because at one point she's like, I did what I had to do. I would do that to save my children. I would do that to save any, I would do that to save your children. He's like, okay, let's just go ahead and put this in the record. I don't need you to save my children. Yeah, he was like, I wouldn't let you anywhere near my children. Yeah, that's that. Like, over the line, too. Like, don't, I don't know. Just like, yeah whatever. I mean, he did not stop hammering her for a very, very, very long time. No, it did not go well for her. No, no, it did not. Yeah. So over the course of the trial, over 30 people testified and one woman claimed to have heard power tools, something that sounded like a saw during those five days between when he was reported missing and when Ramsey's body was found. She said it wasn't odd to hear power tools coming from there since Ramsey was constantly trying to renovate his condo, but this time, it almost sounded like someone was trying to hide the noise. Like, they would start and then stop very quickly. After everything was said and done, the jury deliberated for less than an hour before they informed the judge that they had come to a decision. Guilty of premeditated first-degree murder, dead body disinternment and mutilation, as well as dead body moving without medical examiner permission. Gotcha, bitch. Yeah. Donna was sentenced 30 days later, at which she spoke for over 20 minutes. She proclaimed her innocence the entire time. After all of her ranting, the judge addressed Donna personally before sentencing her, and he told her how she had committed the most heinous crime that he's ever heard of in the history of being a judge, and to her son, no less. He told her that her crime defied all belief and was going to face Michigan's worst sentencing for a crime. And in his eyes, that still wasn't harsh enough for what she did. He sentenced Donna to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And as she was signing her papers, she told the judge that he was wrong and that she was not guilty of anything. The audacity. It's embarrassing at this point for Donna. Like, you've been caught, you dumb bitch. You've been caught red-handed. Everybody knows. The jig is up. You've been super caught. Yeah. And she's just like, "Mm, no, no, no. Oh, and I totally still maintain that there was a man in the back of my car when it's, my car is clearly on video empty if I'm not in it. Like for five days. Five days, this man held her. And then after all of it, she's like, and then he just left. He just, he he left on foot. He walked away. Walked away. And she didn't call the cops then. Nope. Because she didn't trust them. No. And then she went and reported him missing. Yeah. I mean. And there was a moment, too, where, because she had been in a psychiatric hospital, she had not told anybody the story about the masked man. (laughs) At all. She has not told anybody, not detectives, not anybody. But then she claims that a woman comes up to her and starts cussing at her. Mm-hmm. And was like, give it up already. Like, tell the truth. And she was like, yeah, okay, she said, right. wake You're the right. fuck up, Mrs. Scrivo. Yes. Which, by the way, the man who held her for five days also only referred to her as Mrs. Scrivo. He's yes. like, I'm so sorry you're here, Mrs. Scrivo, but this is going to have to happen. I didn't think you'd be here, but now you are, Mrs. Scrivo. Yeah. While holding a gun to her head. Oh, and she <laughs> ordered pizza. She ordered pizza to the condo while that man was there. Hey, when you need pizza, you need pizza. I don't care who you're holding up, holding hostage. She said he was behind the door when she opened it for the pizza. Gun to her head the whole time. Whole time. Whole time. Neighbors stopped by, gun to her head. They couldn't see it. As far as 
holding someone hostage goes, it sounds kind of like a sleepover with a friend to me. Yeah, and easy, easy peasy. Yeah. So good to go places, you can go shopping, dinner with family. Yeah. Drive around. Like, <sighs> yeah. Guess what? It didn't fucking happen. Okay. Like, it <laughs> that didn't happen. It goes on saying, didn't happen. Yeah. You know what I want to tell Donna? What? Up your button around the corner. Oh, Taco Bell, can I take your order? Come mm-hmm. on. Hello. Yep. Oh, you're so right. And I'm sorry to use that kind of language, but I just, well, I cannot with her. I, I don't blame you. I mean, sometimes your emotions get the best of you when you're faced with something like the talking about something like this. I get it. Yeah. Totally. But I forgive you. I don't know if Jesus does, but I forgive you. Well, that's a start. Yeah. I have to ask for forgiveness on that one. But that's the end of the case, guys. That's it. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Woof. Yeah, woof. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.